What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We are live right now on Twitter and Facebook, and greetings to those who are listening to us in the podcast feed. There's a lot of college football to recap. Conference Championship Week is over. We have our college football playoff field set. We know now know what bowl game every bowl-eligible team is playing in. And uh, we also had a number of coaching changes over the past week. So over this next hour, 20 or so, we're going to provide a rundown of all things college football. It's, it's me, Jack Vito, once again. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Jack Vita Show. And make sure you guys, if you enjoy today's show, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. I'm going to be speaking later this week with Jody Wincheski, who formerly competed on The Amazing Race and worked in reality TV casting for a number of years. So we're going to talk about reality TV casting. If you guys are interested in that, again, subscribe to the show and log on to my website, jackvita.com. I got a lot of content coming out this week. I'm doing a lot of writing. I'm going to put out my top 25 rankings. Uh, I'm going to put out a list of all the bowl games. And then I'm going to do some other stuff where I'm going to create multiple versions of what a different expanded college football playoff this year would look like. I did a little bit of bracketology over the weekend. Um, how would you guys like to see a 2014 college football playoff? Who would be in that? Well, I will put that together and next week we'll run a simulator and do a podcast on it. At this time, let me welcome in our guest for the day. Joining us once again, Andrew Stem. Welcome back, Andrew. Always oh, good to be with you, Jack. And now uh, yeah, I got 44 bowl games to talk about. I don't know if we'll hit on all 44, but uh, <laughs> you know they, uh, they created a new one here just to make sure uh, they threw one together at the last minute because they were 43 and I think 87 bowl eligible teams. And so they they just kind of threw one together in the Dallas area. We'll get one more. So everybody who's bowl eligible gets to play, which is exciting. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I, I hope people didn't take uh, our suggestions about the uh, the conference championship games and how they might go <laughs> uh, for entertainment purposes only because, who oh boy, did we miss off on a few of those. At least I did. Uh, you were probably more accurate than I was. Mm, but uh, Don't think so. Close and exciting games. A big surprise, I think in Atlanta in the SEC title game. And uh, yeah, we've got our playoff field set. Uh, uh, we can spend a lot of time talking about the Big 12, and I don't know what Oklahoma State was doing um, offensively for most of that game. But, um, yeah, it was it was a good Saturday of football. Uh, wish some of the games had been closer, but the results, Cincinnati, first group of five team to end up in the playoff and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, Kenny Pickett showed out again. Bryce Young probably won the Heisman. We'll probably get to that. But uh, yeah, it was a good weekend of football. Always good to talk college football with the Jack. Absolutely. It was a fantastic weekend of football. We had a number of games this past week. Um, and now we only have one more game really before the bowl season. That's Army Navy next week. And I know you're a big Army guy. Yep. Yeah. My uh, uncle is uh, was a West Point graduate, uh, 73. And uh yeah, so always watch that with interest. Uh, thanks to their win over Air Force and Air Force went over Navy. Army is already guaranteed to maintain the Commander-in-Chief's uh, trophy, but they can win it again here on Saturday. And always one of my favorite games of the year, watching the, the cadets and the midshipmen march in before the game and then uh, the singing of the alma maters after. Uh, one of my life goals is to get to go see one of those games in person. 
All right, Andrew, let's start with our college football playoff field. That's the lead right here. We now know who which four teams are playing. Honestly, I don't remember a year where it's felt this clean, where it was this easy to pick a top four. I know some people said Georgia shouldn't be in. And you know what? If Oklahoma State had won on Saturday, I would have I may have put Oklahoma State in my top four in that case. They didn't. Once Oklahoma State lost, I mean, are you going to put in a two-loss Big 12 champion? No. Is Notre Dame going to move the needle? Are they above Georgia? No. So this seemed like a pretty clean top four. In fact, that my top four ended up being the committee's top four, which I was not on the same page with the committee at all at any point this season. But here we go. It worked itself out. It was pretty clean. It was pretty easy. Alabama won, Michigan two. Georgia three, Cincinnati four. Did the committee get it right? Was this the easiest decision that they've had to make in the seven or eight years that we've been doing this thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, if you want to quibble about seedings and whether they should have guaranteed that Alabama and Georgia had a rematch so that they, we don't necessarily get a rematch in the championship game, um, you know, they certainly could have set it up that way. Uh, if they wanted to, if they didn't feel like there was tremendous amounts of difference between the two teams. Conversely, if you feel like Alabama and Georgia have been the two best teams all year, you shouldn't punish either of those teams by making them play in the semifinals. And um, yeah, you know, if if Notre Dame had beaten Cincinnati and had lost to somebody else, they probably would have had a legitimate claim, assuming Cincinnati had gone, you know, twelve and one otherwise. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Alabama had won by a couple more touchdowns, it probably you probably would have heard the chorus for for Notre Dame. I think, especially with you know their Marcus Freeman kind of taking over as as head coach and continuing the con or keeping the continuity there. And Kyle Hamilton had said, me, you know, if they made the college football playoff, he might consider co- he'd be coming back for his injury, um, and that. Certainly taken into account, but not. I don't think so. I mean, for as as good as Georgia had been throughout the regular season, you know, this the game on Saturday might have been a blip. And certainly, Alabama, a really good team. So it's not like it's it's hard to beat really good teams. Um, so yeah, I, I I think the four is right. I, I think the seating makes sense. Um, you know, and then I guess the onus is on Michigan and Cincinnati to try and prevent a, a rematch of the SEC title game in Indianapolis. You know, at this I. I think we understand how this thing works to a certain degree is like as much of it's about integrity. There's also a TV show aspect to it. And to tell the truth, I truly do not care that much about the seating for the top four. Now I'm not a Michigan fan as you are. So maybe I'd feel a little differently if Northwestern got in there, but I mean, I think it'd be in terms of what's going to make the best TV show. I think they they got it pretty good. I mean, what's a better David versus Goliath type matchup that you can sell than Alabama versus the first ever group of five team to get into the postseason? And then, of course, you have Michigan and Georgia who play a little bit of similar styles. I mean, they're not they're they're very good defensive teams. They run the ball very well. Time of possession, kind of like an old school uh, college football battle right there. I think these are two. These are probably, I mean, you could quibble with what may have been the best matchups for round one. And I think ideally, as a fan, in terms of what I want to see, I'm hoping that 
one of these SEC teams loses. I don't want to see the SEC championship as the national championship. But if we get, so if, you know, I mean, I'd love to see Cincinnati win, of course. That'd be historic. That'd be like the March Madness stuff that we love. Um, but realistically, I mean, Michigan on top of Georgia and then Michigan and Alabama, Michigan's going to drive some good ratings. So I think we're in a pretty good spot in terms of how things stand. I think these are attractive matchups to the casual viewer. We have two teams that have never made the playoff before and then one that it's been a few years since they were in in Georgia. I think that this is going to be easier to sell than the same teams making it in every year. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, I think, you know, from a TV perspective, and I think probably from a ratings perspective, these are the, these are the matchups that, that should have happened. It's, it's the way they, you know, they shorted out. If you're going to put Alabama at one, it seems awfully hard to drop Georgia all the way to number four. Um, and look, if they happen to be the two best teams and end up playing again, you know, that's that's just the way it should have been. You can't fault either of them for being the two best teams and being from the same conference. Um, and yeah, it you know, the, the TV ratings should be pretty good. We get a little bit of new variety in there. Uh, something I want you to ponder that you don't have to answer now because I assume we'll talk about this later. But would a Cincinnati win over Alabama be bigger than UMBC over Virginia? I'd say no. Do you think it is? I mean, that's, you know, when you're, when you're comparing like 64 versus, I mean, UMBC was like the Cinderella, right? But I mean, this is a chance, I guess we'll find out in Cincinnati, you know, they went on the road, they beat Notre Dame. Um, so, you know, they've got power five talent, but you know, if, if they were to hang or, or win this game, I mean, you can count on one hand, the number of times you've got in big bowl games, right? The the group of five over the power five. And I think to do it against Alabama, like you said, the ultimate David versus Goliath. I don't know whether it would be a bigger upset, but um, it would certainly be one that we'd be talking about for a long time. Andrew, real quick, are you tossing a baseball up and down? Oh, no. Now I'm playing with a, sorry, I, I'm get playing with a, a flash drive. I All did right. have the baseball before. I okay. Was I, was, I was hearing the, the noise. It was oh, a little distracting. Sorry, I uh, didn't mean to be distracting. Hey, you're good. I think the thing is that if Cincinnati wins, it'll be a much more meaningful game and a bigger game. Mm -hmm. I don't think it'd be the biggest shocker upset like underdog story because Cincinnati. I mean, looking at this, we can talk about this now, just kind of short look at this playoff thing. And then, you know, we can circle back to some other stuff going on. And I'm sure we'll do a more comprehensive look at the playoff when we get closer to it. but. I mean, Alabama, prior to this week, they played a lot of close games. They've shown some cracks. They've shown, you know, they played Auburn and LSU and Arkansas and all those team games. They won by one score. They lost to AM. I think Cincinnati's a better team than Auburn and LSU and Arkansas. I mean, they're a reason they're a top four team and they were for most of the season. I mean, I think just in the short term, what I expect this game to be, I think it's going to be a game where Cincinnati's defense is really going to have to show up. They have a great defense. Even more so, they're going to need a big-time performance from Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter has had times where I've watched him over the past two years, and I think that might be a first-round quarterback. And there have been other times where I've watched him, and he's playing Navy or 
Memphis, and I'm thinking, I'm not thinking that. And I'm I'm a little more puzzled as to what's going on. He's very athletic. He's very skilled. He's going to have, I mean, if Cincinnati is going to win this game, they're going to need a big-time effort from him. Alabama's defense is really good, but it's not dominant. I think this is going to be a game that Cincinnati is going to have a couple of opportunities to win. I don't see them capitalizing, but I think they're going to hang in this game and it's actually going to be, it's not going to be like a 30 to three game that we've seen a lot of times in these playoffs in the past. No. And, uh, you know, Alabama's got some, some injury problems to deal with. Uh, one of their second best wide receiver, they lost John Mechie to uh, yep. an ACL injury on Saturday. Um, and, you know, you, you start to wonder, and some people have, have kind of posited if, you know, Georgia knew they were already in if they didn't play as hard. I mean, obviously, you always want to win a conference title. I don't know whether I can't dive into the, you know, the psychosis of all of that and kind of what their mental states were. Um, you know, maybe Alabama was playing possum and and figured, well, we can beat Bama with or beat Auburn without our best game, beat LSU without our best game. Or maybe it was just some confluence of factors. Um, you know, they're certainly a, a really good team. And for, you know, you can argue about Indiana. I, I, I don't know. But so at least for the, only the second time is Cincinnati's, you know, schedule. Are they going to have the less talented team? This is not to say that they're not a good team, but there will be more, you know, the way Nick Saban recruits, the way Alabama machine recruits, there will be five stars oozing out the building. Um, and that may work to, you know, Cincinnati's advantage. You can you can play the underdog. The, the early lines came out. They're already a two-touchdown underdog. Um, you know, like the, the – the, if they so desire Luke Fickle can play the disrespect and, and all that other yeah. stuff. Um, I think that's good. I like that. Cause I mean, there were times where if you take a look at that SMU game after several weeks where they were skate, I wouldn't say skating by, but they weren't blowing out teams that they were a lot better than. Mm-hmm. And then that point spread came out for SMU and I don't know if they played the disrespect card or whatever, but they blew SMU out of the, out of the building it was it wasn't close and then this past week i I guess we can mention some of these results georgia of course well we'll we'll talk georgia i'll I'll pause on that but the american conference championship 35 20 the final score cincinnati wins at home against houston i do think houston's pretty good i mean houston was in that game up till halftime and then at half cincinnati really turned it on things swung in their direction a couple times and they played a lot better in the second half. I think both those, I I do think Houston strong. I still have Houston as a top 20 team in this week's rankings because they played up to Cincinnati on the road in that first half. Um, But I think when they've had times where they've need to answer the bell, whether it be SMU, Houston, Notre Dame, they've shown up. And those have been times where, um, like in the cases of these last couple games, Houston and SMU, they're favored to win, but they're like, oh, okay, that's kind of a, we're only favored by 10 points. We're going to win by more than that. And then Notre Dame, I, I, I don't believe they were favored to win that game. I think they were so, one point favorite. Okay, one point favorite, and they won by two touchdowns. So I think that that could go a long way for Luke Fickle and his team. Sure, yeah. And, I, you know, I think... 
you know, it's a mentality thing, right? They spent most of the season being the hunted rather than the hunter, right? And I think that was for for Alabama too. When you look at their SEC title game performance, is they were a six and a half point underdog, I think, in most places, and it was the first time in what was the number like ninety some games that they had been an underdog, and um, you know, so you know that that mentality when you can turn and say, all right, now we're going from trying to get everybody's best shot to trying to give them our best shot. I think that that will certainly play to Cincinnati's benefit. Um, you know, it worked out when they played Notre Dame. I don't remember what this point spread was when they played Indiana. Um, I think it was something similar, uh, somewhere around a touchdown. And, um, yeah, so, you know, there, there's certainly a kind of mentality thing and not Alabama's a really good team, but, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that none of these teams can, can get gotten because, you know, everybody except Cincinnati's got a loss already. So, you know, that it's proved that you, you can get gotten and, you know, I get three weeks to prepare. Um, you know, you figure everybody will have their have their best shot. And I think, um, you know, I think for Cincinnati, and this is a long way down the preview, but I think it would be in their best interest. This is not like it's not in anybody's best interest, but it's going to be really important for them if they can grab the lead first. Um, you know, I felt that way uh, when Michigan played Ohio State a couple weeks ago. And it was like, if you can get ahead, especially from teams that don't trail a lot. And I think that was what happened with. Um, you know, it, Alabama was actually able to come down there, down 10 nothing to Georgia in that game on Saturday, and then just roared through with that 24 point second quarter. Um, but, you know, I think, I think if Cincinnati can score early and take the lead and, and, you know, make things get a little bit tight on that Alabama sideline, that they've got talented enough players to win the game. Um, I don't know whether or not they will, and we'll do more in depth analysis as it gets a little bit closer, like you said. But, um, you know, they, they're in, they got a shot. And, um, you know, I hope for everybody else's sake as we get ready here to sit and wait and find out if there's, we're going to get, when we're going to get an expanded playoff and how big it's going to get, um, that like, there's gotta be a lot of pressure on those guys, right? You feel like everybody in the group of five is just kind of sitting and watching and, you know, hoping that they can pull it off. Like when, uh, Butler made back-to-back national championship games out of the, the horizon league. And kind of like, all right, when you show that other leagues can do this, when VCU and George Mason got there from, I don't think George Mason was in, I think the George Mason was in the CAA. Um, you know, VCU might've been in the A-10 by then. That's a while ago. But when you start to see teams do this for smaller leagues and, you know, the, at the mid-major college basketball level, then, you know, you hope that the rest of the, the levels kind of get that same respect. And so if Cincinnati can hang with Alabama, certainly good to get there. And if they can hang with Alabama, like they hung with Georgia in the Sugar Bowl last year, um, that, you know, it gets to the point where, you know, they don't have to be, it's not a three-year process to get the next group of five team into the playoff because Cincinnati has been building towards this for a while and still barely got in. Yeah, I think the thing is that if Cincinnati gets blown out, which really could happen, I I know a lot of people are going to use this as an example in years to come. Oh, well, because that one group of five team got blown out by the number one seed in the tournament, therefore no group of five teams should ever get to play. We have blowouts typically every year in the one four game. It's those games are never interesting or close so i'm i'm i think the fact that we're giving someone a new crack at this that's interesting and that's exciting to me 
if Notre Dame got in and it's the four, I think we all know what the outcome would be. Notre Dame's not going to win that game. I mean, we saw it last January, right? Yeah, we did. Exactly right. So I think that regardless, and it's only one team does not represent. I mean, they represent the group of five right now, but they don't. One team's performance in one game does not say, okay, well, because that happened, because Cincinnati wins, therefore, Northern Illinois could win the national championship. I mean, because we saw this before. We saw Boise State. We saw TCU. We saw a couple of teams pave a way in the BCS. And then we saw Northern Illinois go in and they got blown out. Mm-hmm. And that, you know what? That's going to happen. These not, They aren't all the same thing. Um, just because one group of five team does well or one does not do well does not speak for the future of every single group of five team. It's it's a simple idea, but I feel like people might not grasp it or they're going to ignore that to stick with the narrative. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, you know, when they're talking about competing, nobody mentions that UCF beat Auburn right in the in that bowl game. And then the year after hung with LSU for three quarters. Nobody seems to without their quarterback, too. Yeah, nobody seems to somebody seems to talk about that. So uh, but yeah, no. I think you're right, though. I don't think Cincinnati gets blown out. I mean, there's a possibility that it happens, but um, I, don't, I don't think that's the, you know, they've answered the bell in their their biggest challenges of the year. They've answered the bell every time. I expect them to answer the bell again here. So we touched on Alabama with a big win in the SEC title game over Georgia, 41-24. And... We talked about from the Alabama side. One more thing I want to add, I guess contrasting it to the Georgia side of things. The fact that Alabama has played these close games could be a really good thing for them because there's also, I think in college football, we tend to lean in the direction of, okay, they've had the, all these close games because the point differential isn't great. They're susceptible to losing. And there's a lot of truth to that. But at the same time, the old sort of adage that we've, known in sports for a long time is that close games make you a better team. If you have experience winning close games and you're prepared for future close games. Thinking about Georgia, I looked at their schedule. I was thinking about them this year. Every single week I've come on here, I've gone through all the scores. I always say Georgia's game at the beginning. And then I, I never talk about it because it's like, oh yeah, they, they beat this team by 20. They beat this team by 17. But realistically, I mean, they haven't really played that many meaningful games in terms of, yeah, they're playing an SEC schedule. Kentucky was really the last one where they were playing a ranked team, I believe. And to tell the truth, like, because it's been so smooth sailing, you know, we haven't on this show. I know there are other shows. I think part of the charm of this show is people like that. We talk a little more about the Nevadas of the world and some of the mid majors and go beyond some of the normal talking points. But, you know, I hadn't talked at all about this quarterback change with Stetson Bennett coming in and JT Daniels never returning that uh, quarterback job. Last year, we saw JT Daniels. He was so fantastic. And, you know, if this game, if this loss had happened earlier in the season, if they played Alabama or they played, you know, Clemson ended up being a game that I think Clemson's like a top 25 team, but it it wasn't 
It was earlier in the season. I think Clemson's playing a lot better football right now. I also think that they're not what Clemson's been in the past. If this game had come earlier in the season, they'd have an easier time evaluating. Oh, you know what? Maybe Kirby Smart says, hey, maybe we go back to JT Daniels. Maybe he gives us a higher ceiling with this team. This loss comes at really the wrong time of the year, if you ask me, for Georgia. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, if they, if you make the change and they lose to Michigan, then you're looking at being too reactionary, right? Like, you, you took the formula, you won the first 12 games, or, and, you know, Dave Daniels got hurt early, so you, you won your last eight, nine, whatever it was with, with Stenson Bennett, and then, you know, you make this radical change, or, you know, if they win and Bennett plays, it's like, well, why didn't you bring in JT Daniels? You know, what were, what was the, the precipice behind that? And, um, yeah, and I think it's, you know, you talk about Alabama and needing those late drives, that 97-yard drive to force overtime against Auburn. And, you know, drives in the fourth quarter against LSU and other close games. And Georgia, like you said, just hadn't been tested. Like, they were tested against Florida for a half. I mean, almost the first half, and then they kind of scored 17 points in the last five, six minutes of the second quarter, and then it was 17 nothing, and then it was over. And, you know, other than that, like, the, the Kentucky game was, was kind of close and back and forth. Kentucky scored a late touchdown to make that look better than, you know, make the, the score look a little bit closer than it was. But, I mean, Georgia hadn't been challenged since the Clemson game. And, you know, when it's three months ago, and now you got to go, all right, we're down, we need to drive for a touchdown. They just haven't gotten, been in that mode enough to where, okay, we got to go drive, we got to do this. And I think that played to Alabama's favor. And, you know, they, it wasn't close to where Alabama needed a late drive. But if that had been a tie game, you know, with four minutes left in the fourth quarter and Bama had the ball and needed a drive, you, you felt pretty comfortable that they were going to be able to drive down and at least get into field goal range. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I don't know whether it's better for Georgia that they've now got three weeks off and can sit and stew in this, or if it would be better if they played next week and would have a chance to kind of rebound and, and come back, you know, teams respond to losses completely differently. So it's, it's not that there's one right answer, but it will be interesting to see who comes out at quarterback for them, kind of what they do and how they respond, you know, to, to their first loss of the season. It sounded like in the aftermath that Kirby wants to stick with Stetson Bennett. I think he gave a quote after the game, but maybe there's a shorter leash now. If you have a rough first quarter and you find yourself trailing to Michigan 7 nothing or 10 nothing or something like that, maybe there's a quicker hook to go back to JT Daniels. And I, I because his name's uh, <laughs> Stetson uh, Bennett, and then you got JT Daniels, I feel like if I didn't already do it, I'm going to accidentally call... JT Daniels, JT Barrett. It will happen at some point. <laughs> that's, 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 I think you wouldn't be the first, nor probably the last either. <laughs> but taking a look at Georgia's schedule, I mean, really, you're looking at Kentucky. That's a really strong win. Arkansas is a solid team. They blew them out. Both those games were blowouts. Aside from that, and then, yeah, of course, at Clemson. But UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Auburn, Florida, Mizzou, Tennessee is stronger than a lot of these other teams in the SEC that we mentioned. Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech, 
Now, I still think that I, I, people are going to use this schedule and say, okay, you know what? They shouldn't be in the playoff. Because I know some of the Notre Dame fans were kind of reaching to that. And maybe some of the Big 12 people are doing that right now, too. I'm not saying that, but they, you know, they haven't prior to yesterday or prior to two days ago, they hadn't played a really good team in a month and a half. And I think that playing better teams makes you better, but also we, we do kind of have to question, you know, how good is this offense going to look when you're going up against a Michigan defense? Yeah. I mean, when you, I mean, that's exactly it. And like, you know, it was so long ago, but I feel like it's kind of been forgotten that that only t- the only touchdown in the Georgia Clemson game came on a pick six. Yeah, um, like there were there were no offensive touchdowns, so there hadn't been a game s- probably all season where you know the Georgia offense had come out and go, okay, we have to drive down the field, we've got to score a touchdown, we've got to do this. And when you get to that point, it's you know if you haven't experienced it and you haven't been in there, it's got to be a rough feeling, and you know. I don't. Alabama was clearly the best defense that Georgia has faced all year. Um, you know, no offense to Clemson. Clemson had some injuries and, and other things, and like you said, they're not what they have been. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same thing with Alabama and Cincinnati. Like once you get to the playoff, even though, as you mentioned, like a lot of the playoff games, the semifinals aren't particularly close for whatever reason. Um, you know, you don't get to the playoff by not having a good offense and a good defense. And so what happens, you know, when Georgia faces another good defense is Michigan's defense on a level of Alabama's probably not, but they're, they're, they're a pretty good defense. And if, you know, if Georgia gets shut down again and it's a low scoring kind of 24, 21 game, and, you know, you give the ball to Stetson Bennett with three minutes to go and say, Hey, we need you to march down the field and, and get us either a field goal to force overtime or score a touchdown and win the game. How are Georgia fans going to be feeling about that? you know, because they haven't had to do it much and against the, you know, the defenses where they've, they've really kind of had a chance to stand out against Clemson's and against Alabama's, they haven't done tremendous amounts defensive or offensively. So um, it would be interesting to see how they approach things. I'm also extremely interested in how the SEC fares in these bowl games, because we always talk, we all know SEC is the power conference for football. They're always head and shoulders above the rest. If you take a look at the SEC this year, you have four teams that finished above 500 in terms of conference record. A lot of they have, they're sending 13 of their 14 teams to bowl games. One could point, because I saw there was an exchange. You're, you like Danny Cannell, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had an exchange with Clay Travis. Clay Travis is a big SEC guy, and he's like, yeah, we got all 13 of our 14 teams going to SEC. Danny Cannell says, well, a lot of your SEC teams are playing one FCS school, and a co- like their non-conference schedule typically isn't that tough. So if you play two teams, like I'm looking at Georgia. Georgia played, their non-conference was Charleston Southern, UAB, and uh, the other one was Georgia Tech. So one of those is a really weak ACC team. One's a, you know, I, I guess I, I don't mind them scheduling UAB because that's a team that's a stronger group of five team who want to see those teams get an opportunity to play the, the big boys. Then you're playing Charleston Southern. But in theory, that should be two of your wins. I mean, I guess a better example would be to take a look at 
who LSU or Florida or some of those teams have played. If you get two or three easy wins, then really all you have to do the rest of the way is go four and six or three and six in your conference play, and you're a bowl eligible team. I don't really think we have a good in- indication of how good these teams are. Only four of them, as I mentioned, have winning records in conference play. In the Big Ten, you have seven teams with winning records in conference play. Yeah, it will be. And, you know, that's another thing where you start to look at at Alabama and Georgia and you go, well, were these teams kind of propped up by they were really good. And this is not to say that they're not really good, but were they propped up by the fact that the middle of this league is decidedly average, right? Um, like talk about Florida, LSU teams that you typically think are are pretty good, and they all ended up six and six. And I think your point is pretty apt. I mean, some of the the bowl mashups outside of the big ones that the SEC are looking at, you get UCF uh, taking on Florida and Houston and Auburn and uh, Mississippi State and Texas Tech, things like that. And you know how do how do teams get up? Kind of what do you think about those teams? And, you know, if if the SEC goes four and nine in bowl games, you know, I mean, what does that mean? And, you know, we'll find out where their middle is in relation to every other leagues. And it may turn out that they may be really good and the SEC goes, you know, 11 and two, 12 and one, something like that. But, you know, if they go five and eight, um, it, it may just be an example of, you know, how kind of the, the mid-level teams were sort of propping up the really good teams and allowing them to get good wins that may, in retrospect, not have been as great as they seemed at times. Yeah, and I know the counter-argument's going to be, okay, well, they beat up on each other. That's why the schedule is the way that it is. That's why the records are the way that they are. But it doesn't feel that much like that to me. Because, again, you know, we looked at, Florida fired their coach. LSU let go of their coach. These were not great years for what should be premier programs in this league. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Let's talk bowls here a little bit, and we can circle back to all things, but we're, we're mentioning bowls. Who do you think got the most shafted by this the uh, bowl projections, bowl picks? There are a couple that come to mind for me. Uh, uh, in terms, I can of, tell you mine while you think about it. In, in terms of where they fell, yeah. Tell me who you're thinking of, and then okay. Number one, BYU. They had a fantastic, what, ten and two season, and they played. They beat the entire five and zero against the Pac-12. Beat the Pac-12 champion. Also beat the Mountain West champion. And I, I know how some of this stuff is determined by conferences and they're not in a conference. So that's a little bit of a raw deal. I think they should be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, I guess I have to, it'd be, you know, it'd be really cool if we had a, like a Notre Dame BYU kind of independent, you know, there is an independence bowl. That's what they're playing in. I, I just thought that a team that, would go 10 and two against the schedule that they played, which is a tougher schedule than they played a year ago would be, let's see, where is the, I'm trying to see what the date is on their bowl game. I got all the bowls right here. 
pretty April. early, I think. Yeah, it is. It's a. I think it's before Christmas. I want to say. Yeah, it is. I got it. Uh, They're playing UAB though. That's a four-loss team out of the out of Conference USA. I I was expecting them and hoping that they would get to play with all due respect to UAB, someone stronger than UAB. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, that's kind of one of the the perils of being an independent, right? And, yeah. you know, you get the, for the, the New Year's Six, you get the, you get the four playoff participants, right? And any non-conference champs otherwise and highly ranked teams and, you know, it probably came down to towards the end and you look at those rankings, um, you know, it probably came down to Michigan State and, and BYU, I would guess. Um, you know, Notre Dame being really good kind of hurt too because now you get an independent in there plus a group of five team in Cincinnati, and I guess they would have been in a – a uh, it had been the New Year's Six if they hadn't made the playoff. But, yeah, just – you know, it's the way the bowls are set up. Unfortunately, it's there are so many conference tie-ins, and there are so few kind of at-large ones. Um, would have been nice, you know, if we'd have gotten. I don't know. I don't remember where the uh, conference USA champ goes, but would have been much better if we could have gotten BYU and UTSA or something like that. Right. Uh, well, UTSA and San Diego State are going to play each other, and I think that'll be that'll be a fun one. Really awesome game, personally, and I know we can't really. A lot of it is just the way that the bowl system set up. I would have loved to see each of those teams against the power five. I want to see how good these teams are. I want to see you like, how cool would it be to see UTSA versus Texas A&M? Yeah, that would be, that would be sweet. That'd be really cool. And they're both Texas schools. The other one that I think really though, I mean, at least to their credit, their conference, well, San Diego state didn't win their conference. They finished second in the mountain West, but that's a good, that's a pretty good bowl game. Those are two teams that I think are top 20 teams. Committee might not be as high on them. I think they're top 25 and CFP. I could be wrong. That'll be a good bowl game. The other one, though, is Louisiana. I have them as a top 15 team. I think I have them 15 or 16 in the country. They won the Sun Belt. They went 12 and 1. They beat Appalachian State twice. And really, it, it looked like they were the clear best team out of that. They won it 12 and 1. They had uh, a really good year. And their reward is they get to play Marshall, who's 7 and 5 in the New Orleans Bowl. They don't even get to travel anywhere. It's just go from Lafayette to New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I feel like this is probably, you know, another one. I mean, we could have had Louisiana, UTSA. I don't know how conferences all. Like, you know, for a long time, it was right, you know, the Big 12 or the Big 12 champ went to the Fiesta Bowl, SEC champ went to the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl was Big 10 and Pac-12. And, you know, now things have all kind of changed. And, um, you know, it's it's I don't know how much of a hand ESPN kind of has in, in putting these matchups together right. and things like that. Just be nice if it just went straight through instead of, you know, leagues sending or bowls getting to kind of pick from whatever teams they want. And, you know, maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe Marshall travels well. I mean, the thing that the new Orleans bowl folks have to be excited about is, you know, that the folks from Lafayette will travel cause it's not far to go, but yeah, it would, it would be nice if, even if they'd played, you know, Western Kentucky is uh, playing app state 
uh, earlier that day in the Boca Raton Bowl. And um, I'm not going to use corporate sponsors. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, <laughs> mostly because I don't want to have to try and determine about things. I think roofclaim.com is who's sponsoring this one. But anyway, um, you know, if you could have gotten a Louisiana against a Western Kentucky or something like that and an App State against a UTSA or, you know, um, stuff like that would have been helpful. Yeah. What bowl games are you most interested in watching? Uh, I, I, I really am excited about UTSA, San Diego state. Um, that'll be like, I think last year, I can't remember which bowl it was. Oh, it was a cure bowl, Liberty and Liberty and coastal Carolina. They both were a lot better last year than they were this year. Right. Yeah. That, that'll be a good one. Um, you know, I'm, being an army guy or uh, army fan, I'm always excited when they play power five teams. So I'm excited about, they're going to play Missouri uh, out of the sec, um, you know, and, and kind of see how that happens and see if how much power five schools get excited about the prospect of playing uh, the triple option. <laughs> I think UCF and Florida just kind of for bragging rights. I, you right. know, those teams are a little bit down. Um, UCF is playing better towards the end of the year here. Uh, and Florida kind of tailed off, but I think that'll be one that'll be interesting. Um, you know, kind of mentioned Houston and Auburn. Like I'm always kind of intrigued by these really good group of five schools taking on these mid-level uh, power five schools. And it just kind of seems like it always happens to be the SEC in this case. Let's see. Um, there could be a million points scored if the weather is good in Boston for SMU and Virginia. Uh, those teams will get up and down the field and way bowl. Yeah, that, that will be a good one. Um, the Alamo bowl, just because who will overcome the disappointment of losing their coaches better, probably. Cause it seems like Mario Cristobal is probably headed to Miami and link, you know, Lincoln Riley going to USC, uh, Oregon and Oklahoma who can get more excited about that one. I'm excited for the Rose Bowl, in all honesty. Oh, yeah, that's the one I'm – it's Utah, obvious, Utah, but it's the one I'm most Utah excited Utah and Ohio for. State, I think, will be you – know, It's will, better than an Ohio State-Oregon rematch. So yeah. I'm glad Utah gets in there. Utah, yeah. by the way, they're, if there was an expanded playoff, they would be a dangerous team. I mean, they're, they're really dang good. I mean, they're a team – if they had beaten San Diego State, right, and this was a game in September that was our first look at the the overtime game, they lost the previous week to BYU, I think. So they started out one and two. And if they beat San Diego State in that game, and they're a two-loss Pac-12 conference champ, and they've beaten Oregon twice, and they've got their other wins, they are a team that I think you could have made a legitimate claim, especially the way they're playing, that they could have snuck into that four seed and maybe you know, bumped Cincinnati or Georgia out of that playoff. So if they had won what if they had won one of those two games, if they'd beaten BYU, especially if they'd beaten BYU, um, you know, and now all of a sudden they're a ten and two, they've beaten BYU, they beat Oregon twice, won all the rest of those games, they are a team that seriously would have been in consideration for that four spot, I think. At least for me. And I give them credit because we talk about teams we want to see teams play really good non-conference teams, especially ones that don't have the kind of reputation of playing in Ohio state. There's more to lose typically from playing a San Diego state or even a BYU. So let's give them some props for scheduling those games, even though they ended up losing them because those 
coming into the year, if you're someone who works in football and you coach, you have a pretty good idea. Yeah, these are these are non-conference games that are going to be a little dangerous. They went on the road to BYU. And did they go on the road to San Diego State too? They were, uh, that game was at San Diego State, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, so they played two really good non-conference opponents without the type of reputation of, you know, like for instance, I think both those teams are better than Auburn this year. Penn State beat Auburn, but beating Auburn is something that's a little more sexy in the in the eyes of a lot of people who follow the sport. So they played some games that had they won, don't gain a whole lot from compared to some of the other teams that are ranked teams or power five teams on conference that you get more points for playing. They didn't have to play those teams, but they did. They lost. Good team though, nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that will be really interesting. Um, you know, and we're going to, I think, start to get the list of guys who decide that have their NFL futures in mind and don't want to play for bowl games because um, they don't want to run the risk of getting hurt. I, uh, a player from Notre Dame, the offensive lineman a couple of years ago, Jalon, I can't think of his last name, uh, but he tore his ACL playing in the Fiesta Bowl. And so it seems like now more frequently you get guys who decide, okay, um, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, it's still a big bowl game, but it's not a playoff game. Is it worth kind of taking a, a risk and, and running the risk of getting hurt? But I guess you can get hurt in practice and, and doing whatever else. But um, so, you know, it will be interesting to see, but if, if who decides to play, but I think honestly, you know, the San Gabriel mountains, the, the setting is always great in Pasadena. And I think that could be one of the more entertaining games of this whole bowl slate. Yeah, and I think you touched on something that's very interesting there. If we were to have an expanded postseason, like there's a greater likelihood that we don't have guys sitting out of games. If their team's going and playing for a national championship, even if they know that, yeah, you know what? Probably not going to win a national championship this year, but we could make some program history and win our first playoff game. And that's something that I think would really be good for this kind of updated world of college football where the bowl games should be meaningful. They're not as meaningful to everybody as we would like them to be. And guys also want to keep their future in mind and make as much money as they can. And I understand that. But if you have a, if you're playing at, let's say you're playing at, give me a good example, Andrew, of a team that's playing a a solid bowl game, but it's not a playoff game. I mean, I would honestly say Ohio State, right? You look at some of those, their receivers, Chris Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, those are guys who are probably both going to be drafted pretty yeah. highly. What do they kind of decide to do? I mean, especially because that you know they've been in the playoffs so many years in a row, like there has to be a tremendous amount of disappointment in not getting back there and kind of how that season ended. So, you know, do you do you want to get out there and play one more game? I mean, uh, you know, play in the Rose Bowl and, and try and win that, or do you decide, look? it's better for my future to not no offense to the team. Like it was, it was great. I helped get you there, but you know, we've got those like that, that, that might be one, um, you know, or maybe not, maybe all those guys decide that they didn't like the way the season ended uh, in the big house a couple weeks ago. They want to come out. They want to, you know, really show what they can do and kind of flex their muscles and may everybody plays. And, you know, I honestly hope that that's the case because I think if we get full strength, Ohio state and full strength, Utah, like I said, it should be a really, really good football game. 
Yeah, and I think that ideally we want them all to play. I'm just saying, I think that if you have, if they're playing in the college football playoff this year, there's a 0% chance that any of those guys are sitting. Right. Aiden, if Michigan was playing in the Rose Bowl, maybe Aiden Hitch, maybe, maybe Aiden Hutchinson decides to sit. He, might, he could yeah. be the number one overall pick in the draft this year. But there's a 0% chance of him sitting now. He wants right. to win a national championship. Sure, sure. Yeah, so... Um, and, you know, it's a thing that's kind of become more predominant, and I don't know whether the pendulum will eventually swing back. Um, but, yeah, it would be, you know, you always want to see teams at their at their full strength. Um, you know, at the same time, certainly don't want to, you know, like you said, don't want to begrudge anybody who makes a business decision. That is certainly well within their right to do so, um, you know, especially three, four, five years, depending on red shirts and whatever else, if you've given everything you have to this program. Uh, you know, certainly not going to begrudge anybody, but uh, you know, as fans, selfishly, we want to see you know the best games possible. So you want to see all those guys out there on the field. Andrew, how about your Michigan Wolverines playing in the college football playoff for the first time ever? Big Ten champions for the first time in seventeen years. Two thousand four, last time it happened, and you know something before we get into everything with Michigan that I want to touch on is. You know, earlier this week, we or last week, I should say, there was a, just a horrible, tragic story. There was a school shooting in uh, Michigan, and I'm sure as someone who's a Michigander, that may have hit close to home for you as someone who works at in education and, yep. you know, just an act of evil is horrible. And there was a, a big time hero in this story, Tate Meyer, a guy who had just gone on a recruiting visit to the university of Toledo wore the number 42 and something I, I really love this weekend. Uh, I'm getting chills. Just thinking about it was Michigan. They wore, I think they had 42 patches on, right? Yeah. So they were, they're rocking these patches to support him and to, to honor his life. He was a hero. Tate Meyer, this guy charged at the shooter and it looked, it sounded like he, basically sacrificed his own life to protect a, a lot of lives in the process. And that is, that's someone who's a true hero, a uh, very courageous young man, uh, rest in peace, Tate Meyer. I'm sure that, you know, really hard time in that community, just a horrible amount. Everything that was horrible that was going on with it. But what I loved was Michigan honored him. The Detroit lions honored him. Minnesota Vikings were playing the Lions and her cousins and some of the guys on the Vikings were also honoring his life and the victor victims at uh, Oxford, right? That's yep. the name of school. Yeah. yeah. And so one, we get the Detroit Lions winning their first game of the season after this happens. Great story there. Two, 42, the number he wore, the number that was represented. How many points did Michigan put up this week, Andrew? Yeah, they scored 42. There's some really good uh, – there are a couple of good photos of of guys, and, and they talked about it after in the post-game press conference, and they kind of started pointing up at the scoreboard after they scored that last touchdown, and the realization kind of hit them as how many points they'd scored and and all that. And, yeah, you know, it was good to see, the honestly, the, the whole state come together um, – for something like that, because, you know, in sports rivalries, even that, that doesn't always happen, but um, yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me. I don't, I haven't heard of any plans, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if Michigan state had something similar uh, to going on. Yeah. Um, 
for when they when they play in their bowl game uh, down in the Sugar Bowl. But yeah, you know the the Tate's family was there. They were honorary captains, um, and they they were there standing at the fifty yard line. And I have no idea how they could even function. Um, you know, you got to put on a brave face and whatever. But what those what those families, uh, what his family and the families of the other three uh, students who lost their lives in in that sad incident, uh, the tragic incident. Uh, just I can't imagine what they're feeling right now. And you know, you, you kind of hope that um, they could be at peace for a few hours on Saturday. Um, you know, certainly a football game isn't isn't going to bring any of their loved ones back or anything like that. But you know, it. it I hope it was it was good to see. The, for them to see the state kind of rallying around them and, and what had happened there. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, a, the, the players said it in the postgame press conference, it was all kind of a moment they're never going to forget just kind of what all of that meant. And I, I don't, I don't remember whether any of the players on the team are from Oxford or, or nearby, but just to, you know, the kind of pick all that up. Uh, I know that that touched them an awful lot. Yeah. So horrible, horrible tragedy that occurred this past week uh my thoughts and prayers you know praying for everyone in that community and praying for young people in general going through these difficult times and of course everything that's going on with mental health and violence and everything there you know that was it was horrible but in the wake of the tragedy just a really really amazing bigger than sports story uh, coach harbaugh added after the game god was with us tonight um which was a very cool quote i really enjoyed that nonetheless michigan wolverines are going to their first ever college football playoff they dismantled iowa we i don't think you thought that game was going to be close i said that when we i didn't think it would be close that was one of the few games for the weekend that i i actually got correct Thankfully, no betting involved over here. Didn't lose any money. And I really hope no one else listened to us because they would have. We were not good. We were very bad. We were very bad. But Michigan was very, very good this past week. They're going to the college football playoff. They look, I mean, they they look like a legitimate contender right now, Andrew. And a lot of people coming to this season. I mean, we, you and I were probably a, a little higher on them than most people, but we weren't this high on them. No, no. I, I remember thinking I just scheduled and thought they could get nine. I figured they'd, they'd be nine and three. If they were competitive against Ohio state, that would be the the mark of a pretty good season and, and show that they were, you know, kind of turning the corner and didn't, didn't see anything like this coming. And, uh, you know, it's a credit to all those guys um, because, you know, when no one else believed in them and they've made a pretty strong point of saying that, Outside of the the football building and the people associated with the program, there were very few people who believed that they would do anything like this, and they believed in themselves from the very beginning. And yeah, they're 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 playing their best right now. I hope you know you, you. I don't know how big momentum is in a thing like this, but you know you wonder whether um they're whether they're going to be hurt at all by the fact that now they don't play for three weeks. They get a chance to rest up and, and all those things. But, and you know, I'm sure there's got to be, they have to be emotionally drained, right? We, you talk about, you know, beating Ohio State was the biggest win the program had had in probably close to, you know, since the last time they won the, 
probably since 2003, at least since the last time they won the, the outright uh, big 10 title, they split it in 2004 with Iowa, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, to, to kind of come back from that. And I think you saw in the Oklahoma state game, the Oklahoma state Baylor game, sometimes you get this great big win. And then the week after it's, it's hard to come back and, you know, you, you look to it national uh, NCAA basketball tournament games, right? You pull off a big upset and then you play a team who's not as good as the team you beat. And sometimes it's hard to get up again for that game after having the biggest win in program history in, you know, a while. And um, yeah, they, they, they came out and, at those two big touchdowns early in the first quarter, it was kind of like, all right, well, it feels, you know, like Iowa's going to struggle to to drive. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, that, that touchdown in the third quarter kind of salted away. And once it was 21-3, it was like, all right, this is this is just kind of bringing it to the finish line. But, yeah, um, I don't have a ton of coaching analysis. Mostly That's I was fine. just happy. Um, <laughs> you know, they struggled to run the ball a little bit, but uh, – it got to the point in the third, fourth quarter where they finally kind of wore down the Iowa defense. And, you know, I was defensively been really, really good for a really long time. Teams don't score that many points on Iowa ever. Um, and yeah, you know, they, they, they can run the ball. I think, um, you know, Cade McNamara has played better. Um, not that he was poor, but you know, in early in the year it was like, he's not playing well enough for the, the general consensus, not necessarily amongst mine, but, that you know the talking heads where he's not playing well enough for Michigan to win big games and he's the leader they need the and you know JJ McCarthy can come out and provide a spark when when they need to run something a little bit different and um yeah they're just firing on all cylinders right now and I don't know what'll happen in Miami in three weeks um you know maybe they win maybe Georgia turns out to be really really good and the season ends there but um an incredible turnaround a season none of those guys are ever going to forget a season i will never forget and uh <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun this year it was a lot, it was a lot of fun so we got about a little more than a little less than 25 minutes we got a lot more to work through so we'll work quickly you mentioned baylor oklahoma state that was a time when I, I I feel like I say this a lot where I say, I can't remember feeling this way before, but this was a time where I truly had no horse in this game. I'm trying to watch this as objectively as possible, but that was about as crushing a loss as I've seen where you just, your heart dropped for Oklahoma Mm -hmm. state inches away from scoring a touchdown and potentially winning the big 12. And look, I mean, if they had one, they might not, they still might not be in. I, it would have been a much more murky situation. Are you going to put in two SEC teams? You put in Cincinnati. Do they get in? Does Oklahoma State get in? There was a pretty good chance that if they score that touchdown, they, they get in for the first time ever. And you go from, in a matter of seconds, potentially winning the Big 12 and going to the playoffs to coming up just short. I mean, all credit to Baylor. Baylor had a phenomenal year and a year when they weren't supposed to. Uh, and Oklahoma, people weren't expecting Oklahoma State to do this well. But, and that was that was a tough loss. Uh, Spencer Sanders could have been better. And if he was, I think Oklahoma State wins that game. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the running back got hurt before halftime. Um, and that kind of changed what they wanted to do. And, you know, there was some recurring thought if he'd have been healthy, you know, does he turn the corner and get in the touchdown there? But uh, yeah, I mean, Spencer Sanders, what Oklahoma State turned the ball over four times, I think. I think he threw three interceptions. Baylor's three touchdown drives were a combined 90 some yards, I think. Um, so it wasn't like Baylor was, you know, and they had their backup quarterback in there, their freshman making his first start, and all credit to him. But it wasn't like Baylor was just constantly moving the ball down the field. I mean, there were a couple of fumbled punts and and interceptions and turnovers. And I honestly felt like as over the course of the final half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, it was basically a game of hot potato of who's trying to give the game away. And somebody's <laughs> going to end up with it at the end. And, you know, Oklahoma State ran a bunch of plays inside the five-yard line. And they got stopped on downs once, and they kicked a field goal once. And, you know, I – it, it worked out where Oklahoma State got the ball with a chance to win the game at the end. I could not understand the decision made to kick the field goal in the fourth quarter with about eight minutes left when you're on like a two-yard line. I know they'd fumble a snap and and whatever else. But I mean, I feel like you gotta go for a touchdown there. And I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna rake my gundy over the coals. He knows more about he's forgotten more about football than I will ever know. But I just don't understand, you know, you got you guys got a chart and whatever else. And I know having faith in your defense and the Oklahoma state defense was really good, but I feel like you got to try and get the touchdown there. And because if you believe that your, your defense can get a stop, right. If you believe your defense can get a stop and get you the ball back, then in theory, if you don't score, you get the ball back and you got another chance to try and tie the game. Um, those are just my thoughts. I also don't understand, and this is, I know we've talked about this before. This is a common refrain. I'm never going to understand why teams line up in the shotgun on the one yard line. Yeah. Line up in the eye formation, quarterback sneak, give it to the fullback, do something. But like when you start at the one and now all of a sudden you're catching the snap to five and it's a lot harder for a guy to go five yards. Whereas if you just got to fall forward for, you know, two feet or whatever. I'm and also surprised what, what I don't in this see. Game. That's been a thing that I feel like has happened in college football all year. And it's just so aggravating to watch. I'm also surprised when I don't see more play actions on the one. I feel like those are, there's a pretty high success rate on a mix of play action and run plays when you're only one or two yards out from scoring a touchdown. And I, I see so many times in the NFL and in college where there's no attempt at a play action. And it, it just... It confuses me. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I know we don't touch on the NFL, but Steelers had a good win yesterday. Uh, hey, both Ravens, of our teams won this weekend. I know the Ravens, Ravens tried to run that little play action. TJ Watt kind of blew it up and uh, made Lamar throw the ball in the two-point conversion sooner than he wanted to, and Mark Andrews couldn't pull it in. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of what you think. The I saw they were going for two, I was really happy. I was like, yeah. Steelers are going to get stopped. The game's going to end. I didn't want to go to overtime, so yeah. I was glad they – yeah, glad they went for it. Didn't get it. Okay, we got some more. So elsewhere in the world of college football, Pitt wins its first ACC championship. Kenny, Kenny Pickett, Pickett should get a trip to New York. He's probably not going to win the Heisman because Bryce Young threw for four hundred and almost forty yards against Georgia. Bryce Young's going to win. I think I'd still pick Kenny Pickett, but at this point, at this point, I'll accept a Bryce Young victory. Sure. I think last week. I was a little more like, okay, at this point, I think Pickett's done more. What has Alabama really done? Right. Well, now they've done something very, very significant, right. as and has I mean, he. 
Yeah. And like we talked about last week, you know, it's, it's all about what you define as who that award should go to. Is it the best player? Is it the most valuable player? Because if if you deem it to be the most valuable player, I don't think Pittsburgh is ACC champions without Kenny Pickett. Alabama may not be SEC champions without Bryce Young, but they're still really good. And I think the drop off from where Kenny Pickett is to whoever the backup quarterback in Pittsburgh is pretty high. But um, yeah, the the Panthers win win the ACC title. Um, and again, you, really are you going? If you had a vote, are you going? Are you going Young? Or are you going Pickett? I'd probably still vote for Kenny Pickett. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat you are. I think that Bryce Young will win the award. Um, deservedly. Yeah, deservedly so. Um, you know, f- before when people were talking about him being the Heisman favorite, it was like, well, he's the guy who puts up the best numbers on one of the best teams. And that's the way it is. Um, but, yeah, he, he was remarkable. And especially in that, excuse me, in that second half, even when John Mechie was out, just kept slinging it and over the Georgia secondary. He earned it. Uh, Kenny Pickett was was great, and I hope at least they should announce the finalists, I think, what, today or tomorrow. Um, hopefully he, he gets a trip to New York uh, as a recognition for, uh, you know, the, the year and, and career that he's had. And I, I, I think he could be a very successful NFL quarterback. I think so, too. I'd like to see at this point, I'm thinking Kenny Pickett staying in Pittsburgh has a nice little feel to it. The Steelers can draft him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I hope that he falls past the Steelers and <laughs> the Lions can grab him with their second first round pick because I would. Oh, don't be so stingy, Andrew. If you want him, take him with the first one you guys uh, got. Yeah, not not quite there yet, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, and that that Pitt Wake Forest game, I'll, it was happening at the same time as the Big Ten title game, so I didn't have a ton of focus. But there were thirty five points scored in the first quarter. I thought it was going to be a a yeah. shootout, and then. The Pitt defense kind of took over, and Pat Narduzzi, you know, the the head coach of Pitt, well known for his uh, defense, especially, is going back to when he was a defensive coordinator at Michigan State, and uh, you know they made life tough on Sam Hartman in the second half, and and uh, pick six there to kind of salt things away, and yeah, uh, congrats to them. Uh, I don't think anybody envisioned you know Pitt coming out and winning the winning the ACC to begin with, so a good year for those guys. Yeah, I think Pitt established itself as the the clear number one team in the ACC this year with that win. Obviously, they're ACC champions, but in order to do it, they beat Clemson by 10. They also killed Wake Forest, which was the number two team in the ACC. Wake Forest got beat by Clemson pretty bad just a couple weeks ago, and NC State's really the only other team in that ACC sort of upper echelon that people talk about. I might not be as high on NC State as some other people are, um, but really, those are your your top teams. And though Pitt did not play NC State, they did beat those other two teams. They have a win at Tennessee. If you want to talk about, you know, SEC, and they actually were one of the teams that were a little stronger in the SEC this year. Um, you know what? If they had not lost to Western Michigan, they yeah. they might be a playoff team. It could be, yeah. I mean, that's you know we talked about it last talked about it last time, and and they they came through. They're probably a Western Michigan loss, and that was you know a close game. Um, yeah, from being a, a potential playoff team, and you think about how things could have been differently if Oklahoma State scores um, that touchdown, and if if Pitt doesn't lose to Western Michigan, and now all of a sudden you got a twelve and one Big Twelve champ, a twelve and one ACC champ. 
Um, and you got Cincinnati and that all of a sudden starts to look like maybe Georgia doesn't make it in. Um, so, you know, things could have gone slightly differently and, uh, but yeah, a great year for, for Pitt and, um, you know, the, the, they play Michigan state in the sugar bowl and Peach bowl. Oh, Peach bowl. You're right. I, I forget where all these. Okay. Um, and, uh, down in Atlanta and, um, you know, Michigan state known for big plays. Uh, on offense, Kenneth Walker should win the Doak Walker Award here coming up on Thursday for the running back of the year. Um, and, and they've got an outstanding receiver, a couple of outstanding receivers in, in Reed and Naylor and uh, Peyton Thorne. Um, but th- their one area a little bit where they struggle is in the secondary. Um, and obviously that's where, where Pitt kind of likes to to enjoy uh, with Pickett slinging it around. So that uh, that's another game along one with uh, SMU and Virginia that I'm looking forward to. There could be a lot of points scored in Atlanta. All right, Andrew, we got about 10 minutes here. so you know, We can probably it. actually go to closer towards 11.45. No, that's okay. We can wrap it up in time. Okay, all right. Let's. I want to do here, let's talk about, I'm going to fly through the rest of these scores. We got to talk about the coaching changes. And then at the end, I can reveal my 24-team playoff as a okay. selection show. All right. So the rest of these games elsewhere, what a lot of people were not watching, we had UTSA out and winning their first ever. By the way, that's a fantastic story. UTSA has only been an FBS team. They've only had a football team for 10 years. They got their team going. I think it was 2011 was the yep. first season. And they now win Conference USA. They're moving. Are they moving to the Sun Belt or the American? They're moving to the American. It sounds right. They're moving to the American. They, yeah. There's there have been so many conference changes. I after a while, I got struggled to keep up with who's going where. They win Conference USA first ever time big game over Western Kentucky, and that's a solid Western Kentucky team. Quarterback Zappy. I can't remember his first name, but Bailey. he's a Bailey Zappy. It's a great name. He'll probably be a. He'll probably be drafted in a later round. He's he had a great year. Yeah, a lot of yeah. He, he's got a shot to break Joe Burrow. He uh, break Joe Burrow's record for touchdown passes in a season from two years ago. I think he needs four four to tie and five to pass him. He could also set the I think career passing yards mark. I can't. I there are a couple of records he stands within. But yeah, that was a thoroughly entertaining football game. Um, you know, Western Kentucky hardly ran the ball at all they they threw and threw and threw and zappy threw for something like 554 yards um and utsa had good balance on offense sincere mccormick uh showed why he was um you know thought of as being one of the best players in conference usa 33 carries 203 yards i think a couple of touchdowns and uh they just went back and forth and uh you know i watched the first half of that game then went to the pac-12 title game and once the pac-12 title game was kind of out of reach i went back <laughs> and watched the whole fourth quarter of conference usa it was a thoroughly entertaining football game utsa 49 41 the final on that game utah wins the pac-12 38 10 they beat oregon two times over the final three weeks of the season we also had we talked about all the big ones Final on Cincinnati. We, we touched on Cincinnati. Okay. The smaller games that a lot of people probably weren't watching. Utah State just ran all over San Diego State. That was a little that was a little shocking. At the end of the day, I still have San Diego State as a top 20-ish team if I look at the full sample of what they did this year. And I do think 
that Mountain West is a lot more competitive and a lot better than a lot of people may realize. 46-13 was the final on that game. Northern Illinois, uh, they're once again the MAC champions. Rocky Lombardi leads them. They beat Kent State 41-23. And Louisiana winning the Sun Belt 24-16 over App State. Yeah, uh, nice Billy Napier. We were talking last yeah. week. We weren't sure whether Billy Napier was going to coach that game. He did. Uh, Levi Lewis was great for the Raging Cajuns. Uh, they they finish off a remarkable season before uh, you know they, as you said they're headed to the New Orleans Bowl take on Marshall and uh, yeah they, they got a winner um, and, and really props to Billy Napier for coaching that game for wanting to do it uh, props to Florida for allowing that to happen uh, and everything kind of aligning and you know the, the Louisiana defense they held App State's quarterback Chase Bryce the transfer from Clemson to twelve of thirty for 113 yards or, or something like that. And uh, it's made life difficult for them. They could never really pull away, but um, they play well enough and they, they get a nice home win and they're champions of the Sun Belt. They are the champions of the Sun Belt. We mentioned Billy Napier. He's going over to Florida. We talked about last week. There was a lot of coaching changes, especially this week when we weren't expecting we, we knew that Oklahoma was going to have to fill their coach. We knew LSU was going to have to fill their coach. I don't think either of us or really anyone for that matter was ready for what all transpired. So let's go back and let's say this really started. We didn't, we actually mentioned it. We didn't talk about it a whole lot, but Lincoln Riley, after signing an extension in the offseason to remain at Oklahoma, he takes a lot of money. He's going to USC. I, I think that this is going to be, I'm not going to say a match made in heaven, but I think USC is going to, is on their way to being a power again. I think this is a great hire for the Trojans. It could very well be. It will be interesting to see. And I remember back after Oregon beat Ohio state, you and I had the conversation about, you know, Ryan day and, and, you know, whether he's keeping it going, it will be interesting for me to see, you know, because Bob Stoops really had the the machine rolling in Norman and complete and total credit to Lincoln Riley for keeping it going, right? There's a lot to be said for keeping it going yep. when you've got something really good. But I mean, and there's certainly talent at USC, but I mean, I think things have kind of bottomed out and it will be interesting to see how quickly he can kind of get that rebuilt and get it going. Uh, if it take, if there's a little bit of time, how much patience there is, or if he can, you know, get it running right away um because if you were crazy like i was and you stayed up and watched cal usc on saturday night <laughs> falling asleep um your trojans got a lot of work to do um you know and, and again there's a lot of talent in southern california and there are a lot of talented players there and it could could happen quickly but uh it will be interesting to see how long it takes him to get that rolling and uh, but yeah it, it will good to be you know pack 12 will be relevant again so I think that's the main thing. I think there's just going to be a there's going to be an energy injected into the USC program. I don't know. I think the one question I have is he did have something that was already established in Oklahoma, as you mentioned, and they never had very great defenses, and they were a team that win the Big Twelve almost every year. Again, something that had already been happening before he got there. He kept it going. They're really good, but they never, it seemed like they were, their ceiling was capped. It felt like they were coming into this year. 
I I was expecting them to be maybe the second best team in the country. Disappointing year for sure. But if it sort of felt like the way this thing was going was Oklahoma's going to win the Big 12. They're going to have these one or two lost seasons, maybe go undefeated. Are they actually going to win a playoff game? And then when you go into the SEC, what's that going to look like? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot tougher than what they've had in the Big 12 over the past several, however long you want to talk about. So the question is, can he, I feel like what will happen is USC is going to be sort of like what Harbaugh had made Michigan. They're going to be in the mix. They're going to be competitive every year. How long is it going to take? Can USC take that next step to being a playoff team, being a championship contender outside of the Pac-12? But I think that this gives the Pac-12 a little more energy and buzz. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're going to, I assume, touch on it. There may be some more coaching changes here coming in the Pac-12. Um, but, yeah, you need that kind of influx of excitement and and all that stuff to go on. And, you know, I mean, USC is kind of, we talk about how college basketball is better when the Blue Bloods are good. And I feel like college football is kind of the same way. And so you need USC, you need schools like Notre Dame, you need the traditional powers to be good. And if he can do that and get it up and running right away, it'll be good for college football. Yeah. And I don't think we need, like, we don't need them to be dominant. We just want them to be interesting. We want to be in the mix. We want Texas to be in the mix. We want Miami, who is now talking to Mario Cristobal, What's the latest on that? Do you think Crystal Ball is going to make the move over from Oregon? I mean, that's like from Oregon to Miami. That's got to be like a seven or eight hour flight. That's that's about as far away from each other as you can get. Yeah, at least being on the continental U.S. for sure. Um, <laughs> it sure seems likely. Uh, you, the Miami fired Manny Diaz this morning. Uh, so now there's an opening. I would hope if... You're going to go ahead and fire your coach. You already have the next coach lined up. Um, that's that's kind of the you know the rumor that was going on. And yeah, especially because it seems they've been talking to Krista Ball. It didn't start this morning. This has been going on for a little bit. Yeah, and you know he was trying to deflect at the press conference. Uh, and you know certainly nothing to take away from Utah because Utah absolutely mollywopped uh, Oregon. But <laughs> Oregon looked like a team who was very distracted and was thinking about anything else except trying to win the Pac-12 title game on Friday. Um, yeah, yeah, so it seems like Crystal Ball's there. He's going to go home. He's a Miami guy um, and, and kind of try and ride it. You know, we've, we've seen it with, you know, Harbaugh going back to Michigan, Scott Frost going to Nebraska, other guys who are, who are coming home uh, and kind of try and, and rewrite that ship and make a, a once-proud program good again. Um, and that'll be interesting to see what direction Oregon goes in. I mean, again, this is not official, but we're trending in the way that Mario Cristobal will soon be announced as the the next coach at Oregon, uh, Miami, rather. And then, you know, what kind of direction does Oregon go? Some people floated Chip Kelly, right? See if they can get Chip Kelly to come back to Eugene uh, after the success. I mean, he's had a pretty decent season this year at UCLA. And, uh, you know, or if they go in a different direction and, you know, just when we think the, the coaching carousel is going to stop, then we get one more move and then... <sighs> You know, there are four moves that that happen afterwards because of that. And um, so, yeah, so we still we'll still have dominoes falling and, uh, you know, what direction Oregon decides to go kind of see how far and deep reaching this this keeps going. But with the early signing day being next Wednesday, I imagine that schools are going to want to wrap this up sooner rather than later. So if there are going to be moves, I imagine we'll see them made here in the next probably 48, 72 hours. Should we be concerned at all about Luke Fickle 
abandoning the Bearcats before the playoff? No, I don't think so. I mean, it sounded like, you know, Notre Dame hired Marcus Freeman. Um, you know, Fickle is a Midwest guy. Cincinnati's going to the Big 12 here in a couple of years. It's everybody, you know, I mean, I obviously don't know him, but everybody who's, who's, who knows him says he's got the big, you know, Midwest jobs kind of in his sight. If he's going to leave, he, he's an Ohio State grad. So Ohio State would be one. Michigan would be another. Notre Dame would be a third. And there were some thoughts that, you know, maybe he, he would take the Notre Dame job that ended up going to Marcus Freeman. And, you know, whether it was, you know, he wanted to coach his team through the end and Notre Dame wasn't willing to wait, whether it wasn't the right fit, whether they just decided that, you know, Freeman's got the defense rolling. He's a really dynamic recruiter. He's only 35. He's the direction we want to go. But I can't, you know, with Oklahoma, it sounds like Oklahoma's going to get filled by Brett Venables, uh, the longtime Clemson defensive coordinator, who was a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma before he went to Clemson. Um like there aren't any jobs. I can't see dominoes falling, you know, unless Oregon decides to hire James Franklin. I mean, I don't know whether Penn state is a big enough job to lure Luke fickle out, but I feel like at this point he's, you know, you got your team in the playoff. You're going to coach him in the playoff. And if you can get Cincinnati to playoff from the AAC, you should be able to get him to playoff from the big 12 and whatever else. So I think he stays, um, you know, like I said, my guess is, if Ohio State comes open in the near future, if Michigan comes open in the near future for whatever reason, if either of those coaches decide to pursue other things, um, you know, those might be options for him. But I, I, I think he's happy where he is at the moment, um, you know, and now he's got a shot in the playoffs. So uh, I can't envision him leaving. I'd certainly not before uh, the playoff game happens anyway. And then, of course, you mentioned it. The big one I don't think anyone was prepared for, Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame to go to LSU a large, large dollar sum. I think it was like seven years, a hundred million or something along those lines. And coach Kelly sends out an email. I think the way he did this, he sends out an email to his team. Hey, 7am meeting tomorrow morning meeting was allegedly 11 minutes long just to tell him that he's leaving. I would, if I played at Notre Dame and I got that email, I'd be like, I'm a, I'm 21 years old. I'm 27 now. But if I'm 19, I'm going to be like, I don't want to go to that meeting. I, mm. I'm probably not going to get up. You're not going to be coaching me anymore. Right. And I mean, there's, there's, me a, lot of, there's a lot of rumors going around and you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And so if people were saying, Hey, he's probably leaving. I'd have just, I'd have been with you. I'd have stayed in bed, be like, look, you want to move on. That's, that's fine. That's within your right. But, don't expect me to show up to, you know, hear you say your goodbyes or whatever. So he's going to LSU and LSU. I mean, they, their last three coaches they've hired have won a national championship and we'll see how this goes for coach Kelly, but it's great to see that coach Kelly is already adapting to Southern lifestyle. Oh goodness gracious. <laughs> For those who don't know what we're talking about, he was uh, basically welcomed at LSU and he was speaking with a Southern drawl that we had never heard before. This is a guy who spent the last 20 years of his life in the Midwest and previously came over from New England area. That's where he grew up. And there was a great clip. Southern Massachusetts. Yeah. There's this great clip of him 
from earlier this past week where he says family like the way a New England slash Midwestern person would. And they they contrast it to him speaking to LSU and he says, family. (laughs) And it it sounded to me a little bit like the way he said family just reminded me of Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, (laughs) it was the kind of what we you know, it was the caricature, right? Of what we kind of envision a Southerner sounds like, <laughs> you know, if they said, Hey, what, what do you think us, you know, the, the most exaggerated Southern draw you could have. Um, you know, it was just so surprising. Um, you know, he, he'd got Notre Dame, the BCS title game once in, in 2012 and, you know, a couple of playoff appearances. And I don't know whether he kind of felt like he'd just sort of reached his ceiling at Notre Dame, whether, you know, it's just, hey, you know, I think it was $95 million if somebody offered him $95 million. Sure. All right. Whatever. Um, but, yeah, that one that one caught me off guard. Um, I know that Scott Woodward, the new athletic director at LSU, has made a habit of making these big, splashy hires. He got uh, Kim Mulkey to leave Baylor to coach LSU women's basketball. And uh, when he was at Texas A&M, he hired Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State. Um, I know. You and I have talked college baseball before. He brought Jay Johnson from Arizona to coach the LSU team after Paul Maneri retired. Um, so Brian Kelly, a big splash hire. Um, you know, he's gone from, you know, being an independent coach for a long time. He was in the – I can't even remember what conference Cincinnati was in. It wasn't the AAC at the time. Big East. Really, yeah, the Big East. and you know, They were the Conference Valley. USA before that. Conference USA. He coached at Grand Valley State in Division II. Um you know, the SEC is a different animal and, you know, um, I, I mean, I imagine he'll be up to the challenge. I don't know how his, he's got a very significant coaching style or a very distinct coaching style rather. And I don't know how that will necessarily resonate with, with all the players at, at LSU, but we'll see, you know, like you said, the last, last two coaches have won national championships. They were also fired. Last three. Last three. They were also all fired. Right. I Did Saban choose to leave? Was like, oh yeah, he he just chose to leave. That's right. Yeah. Okay, but then but my, less, 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 and Ed were both fired. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It will certainly make the, uh, you know, the the SEC season next year worth watching. Um, you know, uh, I'm not really plugged into Notre Dame anymore. Not living, uh, living in Nebraska, there aren't as many. But some friend of mine are and they're really excited about the Marcus Freeman hire. I mean he's he's young. He's like I said, he's 35, really digs recruiting. He turned around Cincinnati's defense, had Notre Dame's defense playing better this year, and uh we'll say continuity they has got it and kept it rolling. And uh, you know, he, he's a guy who could be there for a long time if he chooses and has a lot of success. Yeah. So everything that we just added, we learned a couple other major coaching changes that we've seen. And that one would be, it It looks like Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator for Clemson is going to be the next Oklahoma head coach. People in Oklahoma seem to be happy about this decision. I think that it was pretty cool that I think wasn't Bob Stoops, the interim. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to coach in the, the Alamo bowl against that Oregon. is so cool. Like, I love that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, like I, I don't know if he's still gonna. I imagine he won't be able to fulfill his his duties. Although Fox, uh, I don't even <laughs> he know. Did Fox, it this past week? He's yeah. an Iowa guy, so that was he's, yeah, he was yeah he was there. He and Charles Woodson were were waving their flags, <laughs> and that was pretty fun. See, um, that's the way to. I think that's 
Like, I know you teach journalism classes. I think that's the way to do this thing. If you're going to have guys from programs who are going to offer analysis is like, let them wear it on their sleeve, but also balance it out. Like, yeah. I don't, there was a game earlier this year. And I know we're taking kind of a detour here, but there's a game where RG three ran out onto the field for Baylor. And then he proceeded to call the game as the lone color analyst mm. in the Baylor BYU game. And I was like, that's not really, I have no problem with him running out on the field, but he probably shouldn't be in the booth if he's doing that in that game. Do what you did with Woodson and Stoops, where you kind of have two guys, two alums, put them on the halftime show, and it can be really fun. There's a difference between that and having someone do color commentary and kind of like shape the way the fans view the game, and it's pretty clear which way they're shaping it from, which perspective yeah. they have. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right about that, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, the people who I've heard from seem to like the Brent Venables hire. I mean, he's a guy who was the defensive coordinator on Bob Stoops for a long time and, um, you know, uh, built that Oklahoma defense and and understands what it takes to win in Norman and, and things like that. And, you know, his first time as head coach, he's been a defensive coordinator for forever, and people just kind of thought he was going to stay at Clemson. Um, and, you know, now it's a chance for Dabo Swinney to, you know, Clemson had a little bit of a down year for them, at least for what they've had recently, nine and three and a chance. Uh, it sounds like they may lose their offensive coordinator as well. Um, I can't remember where he's being rumored, possibly the Virginia job maybe, or one of the other kind of second level, not second level, but not top elite jobs. Um, so a chance for him possibly to retool his entire you know kind of staff this off season. But yeah, I, I, I think Venables is a good hire. Um, you know, it, it, you just kind of wonder he's an older guy. And, you know, how guys, first-time head coaches, see how he responds. But he understands the culture in Norman and knows how to coach defense. And that will benefit them greatly both in their final years, however many years they end up having left in the Big 12, and then when they make the move to the SEC. Yeah, and they struggled defensively, as we mentioned. So it makes sense for them to bring in a defensive guy here. Also, I think this happened after our last show because I definitely missed it. Fresno State's head coach. Did he go to Washington? Goes to Washington. Yep. And interestingly enough, in the in the days of the transfer portal and grad transfers and all these other things, uh, quarterback Jake Hayner goes with him. Yep. Uh, Jake Hayner started at Washington, was recruited by Chris Peterson, transferred to Fresno, uh, and now Kalen DeBoer, who was the offensive coordinator at Indiana before he got the head coach at Fresno state is going to Washington in what was a really good hire for, for Washington. And uh, yeah, Jake Hayner going back to Seattle. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting little, you kind of, I feel like you get to see this more now with the, the grad transfers and other things, guys, you know, different situations or or playing for different coaches end up back where, where they started. All right. Did I, did we miss anything with the coaches and anything, everything we've covered? Are we, have we covered everything? Uh, I mean, there, there hasn't been any turnover in the, the big 10. Um, not, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the next time we talk, depending on what Oregon decides to do, we may have a whole new round of, of dominoes yeah. that end up falling. Uh, but no, I think we've covered all the big ones for right now. There's some, you know, like Virginia's still open. There's some other with Bronco Mendenhall signed to retire. Uh, there's some other jobs that, you know, are, are kind of hanging open and will be filled soon. But yeah, I think we've covered just about everything. All right. Let's talk 2014 playoff, which is not happening in real life, but it's happening on this podcast. So we're going to do a, an episode sometime next week. 
Andrew and I will be here and maybe Chad will as well. We're going to run a simulator. I've built a 2014 playoff. And also sometime this week, I'll be putting up my alternative playoff brackets. I've done some bracketology stuff of like what an 18 playoff would look like this year. What would a 12 team playoff look like this year? Um, I think the 24 team is the most interesting for podcasting purposes. Now, considering that Fresno state loses their head coach and their quarterback, I had them as an at-large bid here, and I might have to drop them out because I just feel like it would be the idea of that team in there would be really fun. I might have to – I had them kind of – them and Wake kind of mm-hmm. jockeying for the final spot. I think I should cross them out and put Wake in at this time. Okay. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, that works for me. Okay. Because it, it wouldn't be – although the problem is – I this would be it would be such fan fiction for us to put Fresno State in because Hayner would be in the simulations. But then again, Hayner would probably not be transferring right now if his team was going to playoffs. So it's just it's a whole parallel universe. We won't waste our time with that. Okay, now that Fresno State's been crossed out, that matchup could change. I could switch this. So this is subject to change. But right now, this is what our 2014 playoff is going to look like. You got eight teams with a first round buy. And I figured in the proposed expansion for a 12 team playoff that we saw this past summer, it included six. It was like the top six teams would get to host. It wasn't, weren't they going to see like the top six conference champions at the top or something like that? I think the top six conference champions were guaranteed to get in. So you figured yeah. power five and then one. Yeah, I think they'd seed them all the way through 12, and then one, two, three, and four would get buys. Okay. So what I did here is every conference champion gets in in 24 teams. And if you are one of the top six highest-ranked conference champions, you get a first-round buy because there are eight teams with a buy. So that means this is how – and then you'd have two at-larges, and you can kind of rank them wherever you want to go. Here's the top eight. Bama. Bama one, Michigan two, Georgia three, Cincinnati four, Notre Dame five, Baylor six, Pitt seven, and Utah eight. So all those teams get a first round bye. We're rewarding conference champions. There's got to be some reason. And then, yes, Georgia gets an at large and they get a bye. But, you know, we talked about why that would be. Okay. So here we go. Bama's going to play the winner of the 16-17 San Diego State versus Oregon. Okay. No, uh, the lowest seed, the NIU Huskies, are going to play number nine Ohio State for the right to play essentially in the Rose Bowl against Utah. We've got Michigan State and UTSA. Cincinnati plays the winner of that game. Notre Dame will play the winner of BYU and Clemson. Michigan will play the winner of Louisiana and Iowa. Oklahoma State will play their number 10 against 23 Utah State. Winner will play Pitt. Georgia will play the winner of Oklahoma and Houston. Ole Miss will play Wake, and the winner of that game will play Baylor. So that's our 24-team field. How about that? I like that. I think that gives some really good, intriguing first round matchups and then some good potential, you know, second round matchups and beyond. So make sure you guys check out 
my work this week over at jackvita.com. Join my email list so you don't miss out on any of the content I have. There'll be a lot of playoff this fictitious expanded playoff stuff. We'll do a podcast next week where we run a simulator on this tournament, provide some color, color commentary along the way. Uh, and then I'm going to do a lot more, just a lot of college football stuff this week. We don't have baseball for a little bit, so should be a, a nice steady diet of college basketball or college football. We'll eventually get into college basketball. And we're also going to do a little bit of entertainment stuff. I'm going to talk with Jody Wincheski, as I mentioned later this week. I'm going to speak with... And we're going to do a, I'm going to get together for a Christmas podcast with Rachel Gerhardt. We haven't done a podcast in almost a year, but last year we did our Christmas movie bracket and Elf was awarded the winner. So we figured let's watch Elf and just do a podcast on it. Seems reasonable. <laughs> so make sure you guys are all subscribed to the Jack Vita show for all of that. Follow Andrew on Twitter at ASTEM00, the Greg Oster tag of Twitter, as I like to call him. I like that, yeah. <laughs> Anything else, Andrew, before we wrap up? Nah, what man, it was, it, was, it was a fun season. You know, there a lot of good matchups to look forward to. Hopefully we get guys deciding they want to keep playing because there could, like we said, there could be a lot of really good bowl games and uh, it should be an interesting playoff. You know, uh, I mean, obviously, I, I would like to see Michigan win the whole thing, but I think it's a really good story that Cincinnati made it. You know, for for you and I who went to Valpo mid-major schools, like I always like to see the mid-majors kind of succeed. It's so good to see the group of five break through and uh, get in there, and hopefully Cincinnati can do some damage while they're there. Absolutely right. So make sure you follow him on Twitter at ASTEM00. I'm at Jack Vita Show on all social media. That's Twitter. Instagram, Facebook at Jack Vita Show, YouTube.com slash Jack Vita. Subscribe, follow along, leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, we're gonna do a bowl mania thing too. I'll I'll mention more about that soon. Uh, you guys can have a chance to win fifty dollars cash and a chance to come on this podcast if you pick the winners of the bowl games. I'll put more about again a lot on my website this week. So make sure you guys are tracking everything and also on my social media, I'll put stuff out. Okay, big episodes, a lot of work coming out later this week. Until then, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dance to the lobsters. <laughs>